And yay, everybody. This is part two of Killinois with Bird and Cam. This is Bird, and as always, with me, Cam. Cam, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. We actually just got back from a uh, Greek restaurant. A Greek restaurant? Oh, okay. A Greek restaurant. I got a gyro, and it was so good. Oh, okay. Let's see, I just gave me a little gyro for like four ninety five. Go to the go I, to a little store on uh, King Drive. I mean, you <laughs> shit. It's so good, and and I'm a little drunk too. We drank there too. So. Uh, I'm not surprised. Well, hey, you, how are you? How, well, I mean, you are. You, like I said, you're a professional drinker, so I didn't. I couldn't even tell. We were talk. We were talking about a good twenty twenty five minutes beforehand, and I couldn't sense that you were like slurring your words or anything like that. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, so Thank the, you. <laughs> So the last time we uh, were here, we did part one of Chris Benoit. And um, so far, as crazy as it sounds, this is our biggest show in terms of like so traffic. And, like it's it's kind of really taking me aback. I mean, we've been doing 19, 20 episodes by now. And like this is the one episode where it's not set in Illinois. And I mean, with all due respect to the attention that uh, Chris Benoit, you know, just the case it had itself. I mean, we've done a lot of big cases so far. We've done John Wayne Gacy, you know, who many will call like the Michael Jordan of serial killers. Uh, we've done, uh, <laughs> terrible as that sounds, we've done uh, Scott Peterson or Drew Peterson. And it's like interchangeable. Both but, <laughs> but like, we've done like a lot of big cases and like, you know, I remember when I, uh, and I think I mentioned this in the beginning of the, the first part. I remember when we first got down and we started, talk, we started talking about doing this podcast and I was just like, and I thought to myself, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do it because it didn't happen in Illinois, but I know some down, somewhere down the road we were going to do uh, uh, this Benoit story. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, entertaining, so to say, comments on yeah, social media. Yeah, I mean, I mean got a lot it's of support. Good it's good because it's like it's our first like you're saying, it's our first big episode and it's exciting. It's super, super exciting. And it's like our first time that like people are really like we've had some awesome um comments and messages before about stories that yeah. we've stated like you know, the Drew Peterson, the Scott Peterson um, all of that, and it's it's awesome. But like, we've gotten a lot of comments back from this one too, and it's yeah, I it's mean, cool just really overseeded. I mean, like I said, we're still green behind the ears, and I mean, if I can equate in terms of, of podcast speak to any you know sports fans out here, we are essentially like Mitch Trubisky, and and this podcast is like Matt Nakin trying to learn the intricacies. Ah of, you know, doing podcasts, you know, it's still, we got a few episodes down our belt, and, you know, I think we're, with time, you know, we're going to get better, and, and all that stuff, so, I mean, as, again, as the Bulls say uh, in their tagline, roll with us, or run with us, and not lose with us, because that's what they're doing, but still, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good motto, though, yeah, and, I mean, you know, I'm just really excited what we've done this year, and I'm going to yeah. be even more excited that, what we're going to do next season. Yeah. And what we were talking a lot earlier, and it's super awesome. Like I'm super stoked about next season. Cause like you said, um, 
we're going to go, we're going to expand outside of Illinois, um, which is going to be super fucking awesome. We're going to do some traveling. Um, we're going to get some, um, some other, uh, media assistance assisting us. Um, we'll be talking about that later on. Um, you know, we're getting bigger. We're going out more and it's fun. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. So, um, that said, uh, without further ado, ready to do the damn thing. I'm ready to do the damn thing. Oh, before we do that, uh, gotta hit him with that disclaimer. Oh, that's right. That's right. I always fucking forget the disclaimer. Right. Okay. So, um, as we always say in the beginning of our stories, um, we're just here to report the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we find information from police reports, um, documentaries, uh, books, things of that nature. Um, if there's anything that may seem offensive, that may seem incorrect, please let us know. You can definitely, the best way to hit us up is through Killinois with Bird and Cam on Facebook um, or even through Instagram with, uh, it's Killinois with Bird and Cam. Um, most of our quote-unquote educated uh, uh, slash medical guesses are just our opinions. So uh, please don't take them to heart. Please don't uh, uh, do, do anything. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, and um, well, we're, we've done over the course of this, uh, you know, tabulating the research for this book, we're doing. We're using mainly off of Irv Munchnik's 2009 book, uh, Chris and Nancy, uh, the true story of the Benoit murder suicide and pro wrestling's cocktail death. Along with, um, there's a couple of podcasts out there. Uh, Chris Jericho, former wrestler, who you know interviewed a lot of key people in this case. And um, one thing, and we got, I got a really, uh, a really intriguing comment, uh, from a listener and they had an issue, I'm going to say issue, but they had a inquiry in the fact that, um, we had mentioned in part one that WWE, for instance, they, uh, didn't know when they started the Chris Benoit tribute show that, uh, they didn't know the full extent of the investigation when they started and what we had, you know, what we had, uh, uncovered during, or what we read during the research was according, again, according to Earth Much Next book at uh, 5.30 Eastern PM, Carl DeMarco, the president of WWE Canada had notified Margaret Benoit, the mother of Chris to inform her that her son had died. Until that point that Muchnick later said, DeMarco sent Scott Zerr, an Edmonton journalist who was close to Benoit, to drive to the house to lend additional support to, to Margaret and Michael Benoit, uh, Chris's father. And when Michael Benoit had pulled in the driveway around 6.45 Eastern, Zerr greeted him outside and said, quote-unquote, that Chris had taken the lives of Nancy and Daniel and then taken his own life. And even further, Mike Benoit would uh, later write in an email to Irv Munchnik that, quote-unquote, the information had been given to him that afternoon by WWE. WWE through Scott Zur. So, I mean, um, one thing that when people, you know, they say, hey, maybe we didn't have uh, our facts right and maybe... You know, we should, well, WWE said one thing, and to a degree, you're exactly right. But something you, something we have to understand 
is that WWE, as a publicly traded company, they're going to try to have a PR spin. They're going to try to have something that, you know, doesn't shine them in a bad light. And that said, and try to get off topic for a quick second, and I'll try to get it all circle, get it all to come full circle. They're not the finest when it comes to, uh, in terms of PR. Now, earlier this year, WWE had announced Evolution, the first ever women's pay-per-view. And on face value, that's like a, a fantastic, you know, announcement. For years and years, the women uh, in the WWE, the women talent, were like relegated to uh, the, the worst spots on the, on, the, on the card. They would have one-minute matches. They would be depicted as just sexual objects. In the last couple of years, they, you know, they've been, you know, pr- promoted as, you know, equals to the men. And that's a fantastic point. So why, you know, where am I going with this? Five days after that pay-per-view, there was another pay-per-view scheduled by WWE. And of all places, Saudi Arabia. And not just a place where women were banned to perform, but this was off of the heels of the Jamal Kasagi episode. And when you see all of these American companies that backed out in business deals with Saudi Arabia, WWE doubled down and, in fact, announced another pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia come for next year. So, I mean, that said, when it comes with, you know, what WWE tells us and they give us a timeline or whatnot, it's one of those things you have to take it with a grain of salt at times. So, I mean, that was just kind of my two cents. That's definitely an impressive two cents, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, and you've definitely done your research, especially with um, the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I totally agree with you. Clearly, I'm not really a wrestling fan. Um, but coming from you, knowing everything and anything about wrestling, I trust and believe everything you have to Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not like uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm no you know professional no professional wrestling expert. I mean, uh, I I'm just as fan as anybody else, and you know, I lived through this you know as it happened, and I can only you know again I can only have my interpretation of what I saw and what the facts are presented, and it's it you guys can you know read it for yourselves. But if that's it, it was just a little tidbit that kind of matriculated something more, but. To kind of, you know, get uh, Rain in from part one, again, Chris Benoit was a Canadian professional wrestler who worked for several major promotions, including Stampede Wrestling, ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, and World Wrestling Entertainment. And over a span of 21 years, he held over 30 championships and was widely considered one of the most respected and greatest technical wrestlers who ever laced a pair of boots. But on June 24, 2007, Benoit was found dead alongside his wife, Nancy, and son, Daniel. And it was later determined that Benoit had murdered his wife and son and subsequently committed suicide. Um, now, bef- uh, we have to mention, uh, and this was just yesterday, um, Cam, you had sent me... Uh, a link to a podcast interview that uh, Chavo Guerrero, and um, we had mentioned part one, Chavo was the nephew of Eddie Guerrero, 
Chris's best friend and WWE wrestler who died in 2005 after years of steroid and alcohol abuse caused uh, fatal damage to his heart. And in the interview, which was released in 2014, Chavo had revealed that he was, in fact, the last person other than his family to see Chris alive. The two were on the road together earlier that week for live events. And on the Thursday before the pay-per-view, where Benoit was supposed to wrestle in uh, one of the three world championship matches that night, he and Chavo had caught a fight. Now, um, on... <clears throat> pardon, pardon my French, but uh, pardon, me, pardon me for a second. But on 3.30 on Saturday, June 23rd, uh... Guerrero received a voicemail message from Benoit's phone, said that he had overslept, he had missed his flight, and he was going to be late for the house show in Beaumont, Texas, which was supposed to be that night. And 15 minutes later, Guerrero had called Benoit back and found that uh, he sound, he sensed that Benoit sounded off. And as crazy as it sounds, Benoit was telling him that he had a stressful day doing the Nancy and Daniel was being sick from food poisoning. And at that point, uh, Chris Jericho, whose podcast it was, had mentioned during the podcast, this is when Nancy was dead. And, I mean, it's very, it's a very uh, intriguing look into the mindset of what Chris Benoit was going through in those last couple of days. Especially in that, um, I do have to say I did get that um, YouTube video actually from a good friend of mine who is also a um, awesome listener. He loves our podcast. His name's Ryan Thorne. So shout out for send, sending me that YouTube um, link. That was awesome because that really, really helped us out with what we're talking about. Um, and also, too, it, it, I know there's a lot of different theories going around and conspiracy theories regarding um, – this murder suicide and this voice message just kind of connects with it being a murder suicide mm -hmm. to me. It kind of, it kind of relates to him not being there. Yeah. Him and, and one of the precipices not... that my bad to cut you off, uh, Cam, but like, oh, no, you keep going, keep going. um, a couple years ago, uh, and we're probably going to, we're going to talk about it later on. But, uh, one of the reasons that Nancy Benoit's sister had came out because she would she was hearing you know she would see online all the conspiracy theories um, that were circulating and she wanted to and also was on Chris Jer Jericho's podcast uh, Thomas Jericho um, that she said she just wanted to put all the kibush that in fact Chris Benoit did murder uh, Nancy Benoit did murder Daniel Benoit and killed himself like there. Uh, I think we want to believe that, you know, maybe because there was a lot of Crispin Wilde, again, as we said, he was a respected wrestler. He was one of the most beloved wrestlers of all time, especially in that generation. So we want to think, oh, he, he wasn't capable of, you know, doing doing these horrible things. And we try to justify that. Yeah. But I mean, as we're going to talk about again with the the motives, and we're going to talk about with what they found in the toxicology report and the autopsies. It it leans. Nobody never. Nobody's ever going to know what happened that those those couple of days. But except for him and mm -hmm. his family. But it, we 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 can't talk to them about that. Mm -hmm. So 
that's something that will be a forever question and hopefully some something can be figured out yeah so um that said uh we talk about the um uh the toxicology report as we had left off on the last episode so it looks like on July 17th, 2007, a toxicology report was announced on Chris Benoit. According to the report, there was Xanax and hydrocodone that were found in Benoit's system. Along with elevated levels of synthetic anabolic steroid testosterone cyptonite, um, which was also found in his urine, investigators believe that the level found in his urine suggested that it was taken recently. In fact, the very last picture Chris Benoit ever took was at the office of Dr. Phil um, Aston III, the personal doctor for Chris Benoit. Aston's office was raided after Benoit and his family died. According to the, according to the Associated Press in February 2008, Aston was charged with overprescribing medication in, case, in a case not connected to Benoit. And on January 29, 2009, he admitted he illegally prescribed drugs, sometimes without even examining the patients first. And he pleaded guilty to all 175 counts against him. Not one, not five, not ten, 175. Hmm. He was then sentenced to only 10 years in prison. And you may be wondering to yourself, WWE had to have some type of drug test policy. Why didn't they know about this, right? Well, guess what, motherfuckers, they did. Following the death of Eddie Guerrero, WWE uh, instituted the wellness policy, which according to its guidelines, the non-medical use and associated abuse of prescription medications and performance-enhancing drugs, as well as the use, possession, and or distribution of illegal drugs, by WWE talent are unacceptable and prohibited by this policy. And is the use of making agents or uh, directories taken to conceal or obscure the use of prohibited drugs? The first violation would be failing the drug test, other than marijuana and alcohol. The WWE talent shall then be suspended for 30 days. Then the second violation is suspended for 60 days. While the third violation, WWE's talent contract with WWE will be terminated. And during the random drug test following the beginning of the wellness policy era, Benoit was actually found to have high levels of steroids in his system. And instead of getting reprimanded by uh, suspension, he was actually allowed to retake several weeks later to get the steroids out of his system, which then he somehow passed. So the question here is, how effective was that wellness policy? And like when you have, and it seems like when you have kind of like preferential treatment towards like some of your top stars, and uh, and, and a little quick bit on the wellness policy, and as the years have gone on, uh, the wellness policy has been a little better in terms of uh, how they uh, catch. Uh, their performance in the act in terms of, you know, actually reprimanding them appropriately. Uh, one, uh, one instance comes to mind in 2016. Uh, their top star, Roman Reigns, 
uh, failed to fall, the, the the failed had failed the drug test, and he was sentenced to thirty days. So again, nobody is exempt. But then there is this kind of like this loophole, if you can believe this, Cam. It's called uh, the Randy Orton rule. And, oh no! <laughs> and if you have a strike, uh, or if you have two strikes, if you have any strike, if you are clean. Within, I forgot the whole parameters, but if you are clean within the net, within the, the 18 months since you got your strike, you didn't lose that strike. What? And, and that was named after Randy Orton. Randy Orton was one of the top, is one of the top superstars in WWE, but he had his troubles uh, with substance abuse. In fact, he had a couple of strikes in the wellness policy. But in 2014, I believe, uh, it's quietly, it's quietly announced that he had got that strike taken away, and then that's when WWE and you can, guys can find this on the corp on the company, uh, uh, the corporate website. That if you know they do perform a whole bunch of measures, and if they're clean within 18 months, and they strike it down. So it's it, it, it's a slippery slope in a way of how they kind of you know run that system. But even more, um, at the time of the incident, you know, this was when CTE was really coming, you know, into the public mind. Now, CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I think I can't. I can't pronounce word for shit. But encephalopathy. Um, we're communication majors, not uh, spellers. <laughs> so anyway, um, this was this was head up by Bennett Amalu, uh, and this was after uh, a two thousand two report on uh, Mike Webster, uh, a former Pittsburgh Steelers Four Hall of Fame uh, inductee who had committed suicide, and it turns out that Webster alongside many former NFL players, had really uh, traumatic brain damage uh, that was kind of like, you know, it was kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was it was as if they had Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was bad. Yeah. It was really, really bad. And, and Michael Benoit had agreed to have his son's brain analyzed by the same neuro, uh, neurosurgeons. And on September 5th, 2007, uh, there was a news conference in New York City conducted by Julian Bales, the chief of neurosurgery in West Virginia University, who announced the results of Benoit's postmortem brain examination. And it was some pretty, pretty damning and disturbing stuff. And actually, tests, uh, tests that were conducted on Benoit's brain, um, Bales said that Benoit's brain was so severely damaged, it actually resembled the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer patient. Jesus. Other Jesus tests Christ. conducted on Benoit's brain tissue revealed severe CTE, and it showed damage to all four lobes of the brain and the brainstem. Bales and his colleagues concluded that repeated concussions can lead to dementia which then can contribute to severe behavioral problems. Benoit's father said that brain damage may been, have been the leading cause of the double murder-suicide. And former wrestler uh, Chris Nowinski uh, stated that Benoit may have been suffering 
um, repeated untreated concussions throughout the wrestling career. And like you stated earlier, his, um, his main, uh, wrestling move was flying headbutt. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a, it was a signature. It was one of his signature moves. Like the finisher was the cross crippler cross face, but like he would, uh, fly 15, 20 feet in the air for a flying headbutt. And I mean, to do that one time is, you know, that's got to be a very debilitating blow to the brain. But then in those days, and, and to an extent now, the, the schedule, the WWE schedule was so demanding that some of these guys have matches 300 days out of the year. So to do oh. that, when you try to multiply that by 300, you know, times a year, and Chris Benoit was a 21-year veteran of the sport. So it's just very... You know, it, 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 and as Chris Nowinski had said, you know, um, Chris Benoit was one of the only guys who would take a chair shot to the back of the head. Which, again, that is very, very stupid in, with hindsight 2020. And, I mean, that's just really how wrestling was back in those days. It was very... Oh, yeah. And it's a lot, I guess, safer now. I mean, you mm-hmm. still have hardcore matches, but they're nowhere near... Uh, to the extent of what ECW, what Benoit used to perform, uh, in the nineties, and um, again, it was the brand name in two thousand seven, but the the company itself, it was just a very very violent environment, and you know that kind of that kind of uh again that environment lead to just a, a disproportionate amount number of deaths. And, and, and a whole bunch of injuries and, and just all of these health problems. And it revolves around a lot, too, if you notice. It's not, majority of these injuries are not um, immediate uh, injuries. This is an overtime issue that um, is something that you don't see either. It's not something you see like a broken leg or a bloody right. nose. It's, it's a head injury and you can't see how bad it actually is. Mm, yeah, I mean that's and those are those very scary ones. I remember there was a thirty for thirty on the eighty five bears, and one of the oh most, my god, that was so good, uh, I cried. And like one of the most like unnerving parts at the end was they talked about uh, Jim McMahon, and mm-hmm. he was getting uh, CT scans, I believe. And yep. he, he was, was giving me about, like a lot of headaches. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about he feared that he had CTE. And they had mentioned another player from the 85 Bears, I believe Dave Duerson, who committed suicide. And he it was it was found that he had CTE. So, I mean, those things are nothing to fuck around with. And especially, too, because Jim McMahon talked about him in pain and the only way to end it and the only way to get rid of it is to kill himself and that's it's to me it's just such a weird way to look at it because it's not usually killing has to do with depression and you know usually around you know traumatic PTSD things like that Um, but CTE is such a different it's so different because the the way they explain it is just constant pain that goes on and constant mood swings and things that change because 
it just blows my mind. Yeah. And um, it was part of me. Another alleged motive that um, investigators speculated was the deteriorating marriage of the Benoits. Uh, Fayette uh, County Sheriff's Office police records, accompanied by a February 2008 story by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, had reported that Nancy Benoit had suspected that her husband was having an affair with a WWE diva. Uh, that diva who was never uh, was never uh, found, or not found, like she was missing anything, who was never, you know, revealed. Uh, they, it was allegedly the Michelle McCool, who is the current wife of The Undertaker, so take that for what you will. Um, Pamela Hildebrand Clark, a friend of Nancy's, testified in the affidavit that Nancy was contemplating leaving him around the time of the murders. She told me to promise her that if anything ever happened to her, make sure that Chris was investigated, Clark said. She said that she had a bad feeling that something was going to happen and that she just couldn't take it. In fact, WWE attorney John Taylor went a step uh, further. I think this is absolutely positively proves that this was a domestic dispute. This is not the product of a concussions or steroids, he said. Uh, the report also stated that Benoit and his wife had also been arguing over a life insurance policy that um, Benoit, Nancy Benoit also complained that her husband was unable to perform in the bedroom. Um, as we mentioned before, Benoit was found to have abnormally high levels of testosterone in his body at the time of his death. And one of those side effects when you're on that is sexual impotence. And I mean, that's... They, yeah, they've even had, though, the research, they researched his brain and it being an 85-year-old, like, there's proof that something was wrong with him. Regardless mm-hmm. of regardless of her leaving him or not, his brain wasn't functioning right. correctly. And um, when this came out, like when the Benoit death came uh, came out, like most mainstream news outlets, you know, they were on it. Inside Edition, MSNBC, Fox News Channel. Headline news, I mean, it was everywhere. Uh, and I remember, we were, I was talking to Cam um, before the uh, before we were recording. I remember when I would watch uh, Gerardo Rivera, and they would start out, Chris Benoit, what did, like, uh, that his son was retarded. And it was just like these ridiculous headline attention-grabbing stories. And it was just like, man, it, it, it just came terrible off headlines. as just so expletive. Terrible headlines, hmm? terrible, headlines yeah. terrible use and, of... Yeah. And in yeah. fact, and, and yeah. it was kind of like, uh, it, it was more uh, in the case of Nancy Disgrace. Um, she, there was this one uh, bit where she had had a list of professional wrestlers who had died before the age of 40, 50, 40 or 50, 42, 50. And she was insinuating that all, if most, if not all had either died due to drug or alcohol abuse. It was just 
a very it, it was just poorly you know it's poorly executed because they would have names such as Owen Hart now Owen Hart who was the brother of Bret Hart who we had mentioned in the first part uh the, whose father had trained Chris Spinois he had died in 1999 after a freak accident had gone wrong and he uh was up on uh the top of a what was he little stage stage arena in the arena and he fell about 80 or so feet Yikes. and somehow that gets uh on the same level as somebody who died from steroids and they had another guy Brian Hildenbrand who had died of can stomach cancer at 37 and he was only a referee so i mean it was just very like it it it, it was very it was bad it was very bad Oh my goodness, that's awful. Oh. And so, with Benoit and his death allegedly linked to steroid abuse, WWE went under investigation by the United States House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform regarding their talent and the wellness policy. Congress did not... Oops, sorry, my, my phone's being goofy. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. All right, back to it. Congress did not take action against either the WWE or any other professional wrestling company in the wake of the event. In January 2009, Henry Waxman, outgoing uh, chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, requested that the Office of National Drug Control Policy, Chief John P. Walters, needs to quote-unquote examine steroid use in professional wrestling and take appropriate steps to address this problem. In the letter, Waxman stated that the first year of WWE's testing program, which began in March 2006, there was 40% of wrestlers that were tested positive for steroids and other wrestlers who tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. They all received a light punishment, and afterwards, uh, wrestlers can secure a therapeutic use exemptions. Thus, uh, permission to take banned substances for medical reasons. So this allowed them to continue performing with steroids. And when Waxman staff interviewed Dr. Tracy Ray, a a physician contracted by the WWE, Ray actually claimed that they were, um, there was kind of sort of a shadiness in almost every case Mm -hmm. that he's reviewed. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, one couple, couple last tidbits uh, before we end. Um, there was one, and we had alluded to it when, uh, I was talking about Gerardo Rivera's, uh, uh, report. Um, there was another alleged motive in that, uh, Daniel had suffered from fragile X syndrome. And that's a mental disability where according to genetics home reference, the symptoms often include mild to moderate, uh, learning disability with the average IQ for young males to be under 55. And it was suggested by Rivera that there were apparent needle marks on Daniel's arm, and that was a result of human growth hormones given to him because uh, Benoit and the rest of his family considered him undersized due to fragile X. Well, uh, Nancy's sister, uh, Sandra Tefaloni, who we had mentioned earlier in this uh, in the podcast, had spoke publicly for the first time in 2016 in fact, on the ninth anniversary of the murders on Chris Jericho's Talk is Jericho podcast, and she pretty much 
said these, this shit was false. She said that uh, preposterous, uh, quote unquote, said that he never suffered from, Daniel never suffered from Spiritual X uh, Syndrome. Nevertheless, she believed that Chris Benoit murdered Daniel because he didn't want him to live in a world where his father was responsible for murdering his mother. And as she said, quote unquote, when I try to talk about my nephew with that hindsight, it's difficult because I don't understand it. I say that I don't understand it because you think about a murdered child. It's the worst thing ever. But when you think about the murdered child as the one person in life you love more than anything because I did and my sister did and Chris did. And she would later go on and say that it would have been a difficult time, but he would have had a loving family to take care of him. And all I can think of is that it was a selfish last act to do that. And, um, you know, right there, it's the, uh, that's the Crispin Wall saga. And I guess this last note is that the cruel irony in this case is that, uh, something that I had heard on Jericho's podcast, and that Chris Benoit loved the business so much that the cruel irony was that his death alone, because of all the, uh, what you did in wrestling and the injuries and what you did to protect the business, and that nearly caused the death of the wrestling business itself. From the, the the media coverage it got, from the fact that they had to testify before Congress, that it could that could have been the end of WWE as we at least know it. That's crazy, and to this day, the legacy of Benoit is mixed, um, and that's to say the least. You know, there's still um, a bunch of conspiracy theories going yeah. around. Um, a couple different mindsets on who really could have been the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the popular know, ones is Kevin Sullivan. And that one, when we talked yeah. about in part one, that was the uh, husband, uh, that was Nancy Benoit's uh, second husband. Uh, she was married three times. Um, her second husband, who was the booker in WCW, and had made the storyline where Chris Benoit and Nancy were in a on-screen relationship, which obviously became off-screen. So the rumor in any window uh, was that Sullivan had confronted Benoit and said that uh, in no terms likely that I was going to kill you. Um... That's just a very, very popular conspiracy theory to this day. In fact, Kelvin Sullivan has even, uh, in a couple of interviews, he's even addressed those uh, rumors himself. But, uh, yeah, that's the one that really comes out to me. I find it, there's there's a couple things that we talked about that, um, that were, I could see where there would be thoughts on a conspiracy theory. Um, one, I know they announced earlier when opening, I believe, was at their garage or whatever door they went through. Mm-hmm. I believe we mentioned that that door was, in fact, open. Granted, there wasn't um, any, they didn't see anything break in and entry-wise, but the door was open, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, when Benoit was found with the wire around his neck. Um, 
I find it interesting that there was a towel there to, you know, make it feel better to, uh, but you're ending your life. So right. I, I was confused there. So, um, there was some interest and I, I, I totally believe that steroids in, you know, drug abuse and alcohol abuse do lead to, um, emotional changes your emotions changes the way you look at things and so um mm-hmm. oh and then it's, while, it's uh, terrible right yeah did you ever hear about the since we, uh if we want to talk about wikipedia did you ever hear about the uh the wikipedia controversy with this case uh so apparently the sunday uh, that um, the Sunday before on the 24th, and I said early in the beginning of the episode that Benoit's family was found on the 24th when in fact it was the 25th, pardon me, but on the 24th, it was reported on Wikipedia that Nancy Benoit had died when it was never, when, you know, it wasn't public knowledge until the next oh, day. yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that, and they never found they never found who posted it. They though. they found they actually found the kid, and he said uh, that it was a coincidental mistake, which investigators kind of believe. But get this, and this is kind of a crazy one: the IP address was in Stanford, Connecticut, and Stanford, Connecticut is the home headquarters for the WWE. Why? So it makes you think you want to think, right? It makes you wonder. And on that but note, it makes you think like maybe they were secretly given these enhanced drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the WWE's, I don't know. That's that makes me think too because for being a coincidence, that's quite a coincidence. And coincidences, according to Joe Kendall, don't happen. <laughs> And whatever Joe Kendis says is correct, so. <laughs> My guy. So, Joe yeah. Kendis the shit. <laughs> so, yeah, that, this is a, uh, yeah, story so big we had to do two parts. And, like, man, this was a, you know, this is a very, very, very controversial and divisive case to this day. I mean, not only just, you know, we see in the comment section, you know, some people are like, Oh, Chris Benoit was framed, and you know some people are like, oh, "This son of a bitch did this stuff," and it's still, it's still very, uh, yeah. And there was so many. There's so much information about um, about everything mm-hmm. um, in the sense of over the last probably five years with all the conspiracy theories and. Just all, all the other facts that keep coming out and linking different facts to other facts. It's just, it's confusing and it's, regardless of what, what happened, three lives were lost that day and it's, it's, it's quite unfortunate. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And, uh, that, uh, is season one of Killinois and Brown Can. We... Up to man. season one, motherfuckers. Who would ever thought? I thought I thought we were only gonna do like one episode, maybe two episodes, and here we are six months later. We're going to season two. Oh my god, I'm so excited. And and while we just do a mid uh do a uh, teaser for season two, and uh, uh Valentine's Day, 
February 14th is the 90th anniversary of the St. Valentine's Massacre. So we thought, what better way? Might as well cover it. Why not? And, too, with that, we might have a guest host um, during that. Um, I know I mentioned it earlier, how I got the uh, YouTube interview. It was from my friend Ryan Thornton. So we are going to hopefully get him on here. Um, He has no idea we're talking about this right now until he listens to the podcast. Um, So either I'm going to text him right after this or he's going to listen to this podcast and have to deal with it. So, um, but Hopefully yeah, guys, this is like a this is a open uh this is an open forum. Like, hey, we're we're burning cam, you know, it's our show, but hey, Mikasa Sukasa, if you guys want to come in, if you guys have story ideas, where can they send it to? Uh you can actually hit us up at Killinois with Burning Cam on Facebook, or you can hit us up through Instagram, another way to get a hold of us. Um we're at Killinois Podcast, but you where also you can find our title, Illinois with Burning Cam. Yeah, and, uh, oh, you should just hit it right on the money. And you can find Cam, I got this, I got this. You can yeah. find Cam on Instacam630 on IG. You can find her on Facebook with Cam, period, E, period, Ren. And you can find her on Twitter on I Like Stuff 630 And why I know this, I have no fucking idea. I should be ashamed of myself. But... You can find me on Bird Your Enthusiasm you on my IG. Facebook account. <laughs> well, you know. But you can find me on Bird Your Enthusiasm, Bird underscore your underscore your enthusiasm on IG. You can find me on Birdman Iceberg on Facebook. And you can find me on Birdman for America on Twitter. And all the shamelessly self plugging. Uh, 2020, bitch. <laughs> so, as always, thank you guys so much. For the support from episode one till now, um, just grow with us, you know, thanks. and we can only thanks get so better much, from guys. here, here on out. And again, thank you so much. And as always, We're keep getting better. Be there or be, be there. Or be killed, bitch. Yes.